Hello, friends. This is Pastor Creighton. Thank you for tuning in to New Song Church's sermon podcast. At New Song Church, we want to see Jesus lifted high in Port Perry, Ontario, as we worship, grow, and serve. You can learn more about us and find contact info at newsongportperry.ca. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory, Glory to you, Lord Christ. And when the hour came, Jesus reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he said, Take this, and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them could it could be who was going to do this? A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. The gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Lord Christ. Christ. O Lord, let it be your pleasure to deliver me. Make haste, O Lord, to help me. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, would you... Meet us, your disciples, in this, our upper room, in a way that you met your disciples on that very first Maundy Thursday. Give us grace, give us faith to find fellowship with you at your table. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So one fellow says to another, my memory's gotten so bad I've lost my job. 
And the other fellow says to him, I'm so sorry to hear that. How long have you been unemployed? The fellow looks at him, puzzled. Says, oh, I'm not unemployed. I just can't find where I work. (laughs) That really landed strong, didn't it? (laughs) I've lost my office building. Memory matters, doesn't it? Memories are more than just the sum of factoids that make up our day or make up our lives, right? It's more than just remembering where I work or where I live. It's more than just remembering what I had for lunch. Memories are more than the sum of their parts. Memories give us a sense of cohesion, a sense of orientation, a sense of, a sense of where we've come from, but a sense of where we're going as well, don't they? If you've ever seen the film Memento, it's a story about a, a protagonist who can't make any more short-term memories or long-term memories. He can only remember about two minutes at a time, but he's determined to hunt down this criminal who's done his family wrong. And you see over the course of this movie just how disorienting it is for this character to not be able to piece things together moment to moment to moment. Memory matters. A fellow named Mike Wiking, uh, who writes a book called The Art of Making Memories, he writes, memories strengthen our sense of identity and purpose and bond our relationships. Ever wonder why you get together with old friends and all you talk about is the trouble you got up to in years past? I mean, these are the things that bonded us together. We're going to rehearse those things. We're going to rediscover those things together because they, they bind us together. So strong memories make for a strong sense of self, a strong sense of purpose, a strong sense of where I fit into my relational networks. And if we want to build stronger memories, the sort that give us a stronger sense of ourself, then there's a few suggestions. How do I make a memory stick? First, a conscious decision at that moment to take it all in through your senses as much as possible. So I remember doing this, at least trying to do this on our wedding day, because I was only ever told how quick it goes by, so take in as much as you can. And I probably have a solid three, four, or five memories of the wedding day, because it goes by like that. But I remember that I'm married, and that's the important part. (laughs) Make a conscious decision to take it all in through your senses. Sense memory matters. When we study for a test or an exam, we do more, generally speaking, than reading the text. We, We write it out. We try and engage our other senses in that. We try and make this as sensory as possible if we're going to remember something. And the second piece of advice is this. How do I make my memory stick? By revisiting that memory to mark it as important in your brain. If I only ever thought about my wedding one time after I got married, then there might be a problem there. (laughs) The important things are the things we keep going back to in our minds. We revisit them over and over and over again. Memory matters. And that matters not just for individuals, but it matters for communities as well. Communities, nations have memories, don't they? Our town, Port Perry, has memories, doesn't it? I mean, think about it this way. Let's say you and I were to go and visit a, a war memorial. What three words would we likely, would we expect to see somewhere emblazoned on this war memorial? Lest we forget. Now, let's say I'm a little slow on the uptake because I'm a little slow some days. And I turn to you and I say, lest we forget, I wasn't around during the war. How could I, how could I forget something that I don't remember in the first place? 
We'd say, well, Creighton, you've missed the point. The point is that you belong to this nation of Canada, and this nation has been through something so profound, it's had to reckon with the, the precious value of peace and life, and the horror and cost of war, and, and the loss of life. We ought not to forget these things, because if we forget these things, well, we're bound to repeat this sort of history, aren't we? And we, each of us, as citizens of this nation, have a responsibility to carry these memories forward. Nations and communities have memories, don't they? Lest we forget. Memory matters. It matters in Scripture. Over 250 times in the Old Testament and the New Testament are God's people, in one way or another, commanded to remember Remember your creator in the days of your youth. I will remember the deeds of the Lord, says the psalmist. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. And bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all of his benefits. Chiefly, God's people are called to remember those saving acts that God has done on their behalf in history. Take care, the Lord says, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. I know the Bible has this reputation of being this book that's really difficult to approach. It's challenging in many ways, that's true. But the Bible has this remarkably realistic view of being human. <laughs> it knows that we are prone to forget. And not just forget what we had for lunch, but forget the important things. We know that we're inclined to forget things as a nation like war, what can we be inclined to forget before God? Remember, remember, remember is what God says to his people. Remember that I am your deliverer, your savior. To forget this is to forget the faith. And because this command to remember is so crucial... The Lord joins it together with our senses. He gives his people a meal, a feast of deliverance. And he mandates that it's a meal that's revisited over and over and over again. It's meant to engage our memory as individuals, as God's people, together. This is our feast of deliverance. We first see it in Exodus chapter 12. Here, God's people are enslaved in Egypt. They've enjoyed many centuries of, of peace and prosperity, but along comes a Pharaoh that doesn't remember the good that Israel has done Egypt in the past. This Pharaoh sees Israel as a people to be oppressed. In fact, he sees them as a threat to his throne. And so he takes the initiative to slaughter a generation of their firstborn sons just to make sure that Israel knows their place. So Israel is enslaved and they cry out to God who's promised to deliver them to a, a promised land. They cry out to him for help. And God hears their cry. And he raises up his servant Moses to go to Pharaoh and to command Pharaoh to let his people go. And yet through pride and through hardness of heart, Pharaoh refuses to listen to the command of the Lord. And so to demonstrate his sovereignty over all things, God sends nine plagues on Egypt. 
that Pharaoh might, might repent. He might let his people go. But it's not so. So here we're on the eve of the tenth and last plague, the most terrible plague to come. In a way that Pharaoh has slaughtered a firstborn, a generation of firstborn sons of Israel, God will visit this judgment on the whole land. But God has provided a means of rescue to his people. He's given them a meal. This day, the Lord says, shall be for you a memorial day. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. This is something that's meant to be carried forward. In fact, later on, after our Exodus reading, it says, when your children say to you, what do you mean by all of this? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. The people of Israel meant to revisit this over and over and over again. It's meant to be a sign for each generation that the Lord has act, acted for their deliverance. He's acted to be their savior. And he wants to engage their sense memory as he does it. He gives them a meal. Verse 3, God says, take a lamb. In verse 5, he goes on to say, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month when, that, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and they will put it on two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. The Lord is about to act to rescue his people from slavery in Egypt. And he gives them a meal. He gives them a meal with three important elements. First, we see the lamb, don't we? A lamb that's meant to be roasted without blemish. It's meant to be a perfect sacrifice without fault. It's meant to signify something of God's purity and wholeness and holiness. This lamb is going to be a substitute for God's people. It's meant to be eaten it's meant to be appropriated by God's people, joined together. You are what you eat is what we say, and that's true in this as well. Here's God's substitute. You're going to eat that. It's going to become part of you. You're going to appropriate it to yourself, and you're going to find fellowship with your fellow Israelites as you do that. Take a lamb, and then take some of the blood and put it on your doorposts. On the cross beam of the house, blood would be uh, spilled and painted it would be a sign to the Lord that this is a house that has followed the Lord's commands, that puts their trust in his saving action. This blood in the doorpost will signify to the Lord when he visits this land that this is a, a house that has put their trust in him. A life has been given for a life, and God's people trust the Lord. And finally, we see bread in verse 8. Bread with bitter herbs meant to remind God's people the bitterness of slavery. This feast tells God's people from one generation to the next that he is their deliverer. This moment in Exodus becomes for God's people, the, it's like the bullseye of God's saving work. It radiates outwards, reminding all of God's people from one generation to the next that God is surely for us. 
and he will surely save us. And each and every time this meal gets revisited, and the smells are taken in, and the tastes are tasted, it reminds them that the Lord is good. And it's carried forward. It's carried forward to an upper room in Jerusalem where Jesus gathers with his disciples. We read about it in Luke chapter 22. Jesus is not just getting together for any old meal with his disciples, is he? He's not having fish tacos and talking about the good times. What's he celebrating here? It's the Passover meal. This is a Passover that he's looked forward to. And so as they eat the lamb and they share the bread and they share the cup, Jesus and his disciples share in this memory of God's people that he has acted decisively for their deliverance. But Jesus does more than just celebrate the Passover with his disciples. He renews it. He reconstitutes it. He puts himself at the very center of it. And we got to see just how wild this is. Surely no Jewish rabbi would think to do that. Put themselves in the middle of God's saving activity. Only God can do that for himself. So here's Jesus putting himself at the very center of this meal. It's a feast of deliverance, but not deliverance from slavery in Egypt, not even from oppression, Roman oppression. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus introduces his ministry by saying that the spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus is a deliverer. That's his mission. And what's he meant to deliver us from? Well, John gives us an answer in his gospel. Jesus says, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God is what the Apostle Paul writes. And the wages of sinners is death. So here we are in this condition of deterioration and alienation from the God we are always meant to be in fellowship with. We are enslaved to sin. I don't think I have to make a case for that. It's like you watch the news and you can't help but see something is wrong. And the number of conversations I've had, even the last week, where something is wrong with the world and we just don't know why or what. We just know something is not the way it's supposed to be. Here we live on this side of eternity enslaved as it were, powerless to help ourselves out of this predicament that we find ourselves in from one generation to the next. Here we are, as the Bible would say, slaves to sin and death. But Jesus has a meal for us. It's the same sensory meal as the Passover, but it's on the eve of the cross. So he takes bread And he says, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This would be the bread with the bitter herbs. Maybe there's more bitterness going on than just slavery in Egypt. This is the bitterness of sin and death. The condition we live in. And he's identified it as his body. This is what you're going to consume. This is what you're going to appropriate to yourself. You're going to find fellowship with one another and with me as you take this and and consume it. 
the perfect, spotless Lamb of God who is Jesus is giving himself, his very righteousness, over to his disciples that it would be theirs. And so too Jesus takes the cup and says, this is my blood. This cup is poured out for you is the canoe covenant in my blood. It's shed for the forgiveness of sins. A substitution has been made. It's about to be made. That judgment would pass over God's people. That there would be deliverance. Take it and eat it. This is the feast of the Lord's Supper. Or we might call it the Eucharist or Holy Communion. It reminds us who are God's new covenant people that he has delivered us from sin and from death. He has accomplished our deliverance as surely as he has taken the cross onto himself. So the Apostle Paul can say, as often as you eat, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As often as you eat. I wonder if we asked Paul how often that is, he'd go, well, it's often. <laughs> It is good to have the Lord's Supper often because we proclaim the Lord's death as he comes. Not that Jesus died as a historical fact, but the significance of his death. He has taken the condition of sin and death onto himself. He has become the Passover lamb for our sake. He is life given for our life so that we can be restored to God. As often as we eat this, we proclaim his death until he comes and we ought to remember that this table points us forward. He will come again to feast with us in his kingdom. That's his promise. This feast reminds us, his people, that God is our deliverer. And memory matters. But the Apostle Paul gives us a warning, doesn't he? Freaks me out when I read it. As often as you eat this bread, drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine, examine himself then and eat the bread and, eat, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Boy, what are we supposed to do with that, eh? I wonder if... On that very first Passover evening, there were Israelites huddled together in little shacks that are put together by slaves, eating a lamb, painting the doorposts with blood, thinking, am I really worthy of this? Do I really expect God Almighty to show up at my door and give me a pass? I might not be as bad as Egypt, but sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, we'd be pretty nervous for God to show up at our door, wouldn't we? What's God inviting them to? He's not inviting them to do a good work that earns it before them. He's saying, put your faith in my saving action. I am going to do for you what you can't do for yourself. So when you paint that blood on your doorposts, you are making an act of faith saying, I trust in the Lord's deliverance and not my own. So friends, when we come to the Lord's Supper, 
to receive his body and his blood, we come as, we come as an act of faith. Lord Jesus, you have accomplished for me what I can't accomplish for myself. We eat the cup and we eat the bread and drink the cup unworthily when we come trusting in our own righteousness, like we've earned it, like I nailed it as a Christian this week. When we come to the table as those ready to receive his righteousness, his goodness, given for us on the cross, then we come by faith. I read a great Lutheran blog this morning. Here are some great Lutheran blogs. This is a great one. Here the writer says, If you believe these words, given and shed for you, then you are worthy and well prepared for the Lord's Supper. Only sinners are worthy of the Lord's Supper. And if it's the forgiveness of sins that you seek from Christ, then you qualify. Eat and drink your salvation. Memory matters. And this table, each and every time we gather at it, tells us that God is our deliverer. He has delivered us through the cross of Christ. And we are saved. The psalmist prays, O Lord, let it be your pleasure to deliver me. This table is says to us, you are delivered. So remember, friends, our Lord Jesus gives himself for you and for me and invites us to come by faith. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We worship a generous God who calls us to follow him in giving willfully, cheerfully, and sacrificially. New Song Church's mission and ministry is 100% funded by the generous gifts of those worshiping and journeying with us. If you'd like to offer a gift towards New Song's ministry, please visit newsongportperry.ca slash giving for more information on how to do that. May God bless you and keep you today and every day.